This is a Hive Mind Studio production. Hello, gods and goblins, deities and deviants, and my fellow what the fucks. You're listening to Playing with Advantage, an informative podcast about the very aspects of the tabletop role playing genre. I, as always, am Kenneth Moffat, the Southern GM, and with me we have our mentor and a good friend, James the Hive Master Bardwell. Hi, James. How are you? Hello. I'm doing well today. I'm uh, I'm feeling uh, feeling a little bit chaotic evil today. If if you don't, so you might want to watch out. Uh, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, folks, don't worry. We're going to explain. I'm I'm on a true neutral right now. I feel like you know uh, it can go anywhere from here. That's fair. That's right. I woke up and chose violence this morning. Uh, no. When what we're discussing, folks, is as many of you know, if you're into tabletop role playing games, an aspect of your character that you often have to approach or deal with is called your alignment. And there are various ways that alignment are used with different names through the multiple systems. But the one we're going to be discussing today, because it was the originator, is the alignment system that started in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Um, and when I, um, again, I think I started playing somewhere second, maybe. Um, we still had Thaco. But um, yeah. Stop saying that word. Learn algebra. Play a game. Um, the alignment system was very, very strict back then. Like you. DMs took it seriously. You didn't stray off of the particular spot in that spectrum. You had pegged at the top of your sheet or you got punished. I remember it was, it, I think it was uh, second edition of Advanced D&D, which we'll get into, where if you perform too many actions outside of your alignment, uh, it could either change your alignment or if you had a really, you know, past master of a dungeon master, they would take away experience points. Oh, yeah. Like there were... There were multitude of different ways you got punished for functioning outside of your alignment, which to me always seemed a little a little confusing. Um, and I quote in the Joker, it may not be the best qualification <laughs> for anything, but the, the quote is, all it takes is one bad day to reduce the sanest man alive to lunacy. That's how far the world is from where I am, just one bad day. And to me, like when it comes to the alignment system, that makes a whole lot of sense. It does. Because I, like most of my characters were chaotic good. And I feel like your alignment should be your baseline. That's how inter- uninterrupted your character generally functions. But there are mitigating factors. You know, you if if you're playing a game and your best friend in the game goes down and they're in death saves, your character may shift a little bit. Yeah. That may change how they act. And I feel like that there should be room for that. I remember because I, I came like the I came into role playing game. Mainly from GURPS. I had like the few sessions of, I think it was like D&D 3rd Edition, the whole big thing. But I got really into it through the GURPS system. And GURPS does not have alignments, you know, like good, evil, that kind of stuff. They do deal things with like positive and negative like magics and energies. But that's a whole big thing if we ever discuss the GURPS system. But I remember there was one time where my character, uh, I, it was my, my, in, my in, uh, in-game uh, partner. And she went down in a burning building where there were still other people and my care, well, this, you know, this is my, my, my wife, this, this is the person I, my character cares about. And me physically, I have thrown in a, a, an emotional attachment to this figment of my imagination. Yeah. Which when the game master had to me, goes, okay, uh, what do you do? Like I'm, I rush in to save her. What about the, the, the children, what about the people I got to save her? Yeah. And that entire time, I've been playing a very lawful, good kind of 
you know, aside from me ripping the guy's arm off and using it as an intimidation tactic, I was still playing kind of like, you know, within the, the rules of society. That sounds like another departure <laughs> from the lawful good, but okay. It was curbs. It didn't matter. <laughs> Thank, thankfully, I got to her and saved her, and my, the guy I was playing with, he managed to pick up, pick up the slack and save the, the other innocents. And there was a whole big thing in game where it led to this great emotional confrontation, you know, whole thing about I had to save her. I didn't care. And it was a great character building moment and the entire game got better for it. But it was in that moment where I went, okay, what, like, would I keep the whole, like realistically, would I keep the whole, you know, okay, save these people. These are innocent, save them. Or wait, she just went down. I'm going after her. I have to save her. I yeah, have to save her. I, I feel like if you had not done that, it wouldn't have felt realistic. Yeah. One of the things that functioning outside of your alignment does, it creates impact. As long as you are mostly true to your alignment, when those moments happen, when you do something like what you did, that has impact because people understand, hey, this is how he usually is. He's not doing that. Yeah. You know, and like the guy that uh, wound up picking up the slack for the kids, that also opened up an opportunity for impact for their character. Yeah. You know, because if you're, say, you're the rogue, you know, and you're not necessarily the best of guys, uh, and then this happens and you see that these kids need saving, that allows an opportunity for you to step in, too. Oh, yeah. Again, impact. Now, we, we keep using the word alignment a lot. Let's, let's first kind of, for, as, as I like to say, let's define our term. Define the terms. We are defining the terms. Do, 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 do. We need to define in the terms. Song. We do, like to define the terms. Song. Yes. That's great. All right. So when we say alignment, what everybody knows from D&D is you have the uh, good, neutral, and evil, and then you have uh, lawful, neutral, and chaotic. Yeah. Very interesting. Like doing prep for this this episode, I learned because I I only really started getting into D and D roughly around three point five that the alignment system has changed and shifted so much within D and D, and now within fifth edition we barely ever use it. Yeah, like alignment may occasionally get mentioned during character creation to help a new player decide how they want to play as a character, but like as a technical mechanical thing, it's almost never used really. Yeah. Uh, so I have like kind of a quick hist- brief history of how like, again, and we're just going with D and D mainly because it's one that everybody knows. It's kind of in the forefront right now. Uh, I know Pathfinder has a similar thing, but Pathfinder also deals with like uh, positive planes of existence and positive and negative energy levels. And they get the three point uh, Pathfinder first edition got really deep into alignment affecting your character, almost similar to how it did like in second AD&D. Huh. Uh, but we're just going to like quickly just go over the kind of the brief history of alignment because alignment started with Dungeons and Dragons. In 1974, there were three alignments. Uh, this is what was called a single axis alignment because you can just you know, across the top of your yeah, page. Yeah, pick one. Uh, you had lawful, which implied honor and respect for society's laws. Chaotic implied a rebelliousness and individualism. And neutral, which that you kind of were seeking a balance between the two extremes. Now, you notice there was not a good or evil in that. Yeah. That was more how does your character work within the rules of society? It really didn't care much about how what motivated your character. It's just how would they interact with other people? I think that maybe that was probably for the DM um, because that would help them plan encounters yes. and stuff. Because, like, if you knew your characters were very lawful, you could count on them trying to stay within the town they were in or yeah. whatever. Whereas if you knew they were chaotic, you <laughs> needed to plan more. Because like, this, this, like, this was the original. This was a little, the little pamphlet that came out in, you know, 
uh, what was the chainmail magazine? This was the first, yeah. like, so, like you said, like, let's say you have it, you know, because you always start in a tavern. Yeah. Well, if three of my players are lawful, they're going to sit there and have a drink, maybe get a little rowdy, but all. Then I got the one guy who's playing chaotic. Um, he's just going to walk up and punch the bartender. So I have to be prepared for that kind of stuff. Punch the bartender, pickpocket the person at the table next to him, yeah. just all kinds just of stuff. Ran, just randomness. Yeah. Uh, now, in 1977, which I didn't realize that the official first edition of D&D came out only three years after uh, after the whole like original pamphlet. That was, that was just... Did you say 77? 77. That was literally the year I was born. <laughs> yeah. Folks, you heard it here. Our our hive master is as old as the cust as, as the modern version of Dungeons and Dragons. We've grown together <laughs> as friends. All right, now in the the base set, uh, this added what they call the second axis. So you, I, I'm sure our listeners have seen uh, the memes and the videos and all the different photos of where you have across the top. Uh, if you know anything about genetics, you'd use this like to compare different genes and stuff. Across the top, you have lawful, neutral, uh, and good. On the side, you have evil, neutral, uh, good, neutral, and evil. This is where they added the good, evil, uh, and a neutral. Uh, good here implied altruism. You put others before yourself and respect for life. Evil implied selfishness. Uh, a lot of times, I, you know, the, the me, the ego, and a disregard for life. And then you included a neutral again, trying to achieve a balance between the two. So, like, you know, how I feel like the uh, lawful and chaotic were tools for the DM to help them planning and, like, give them ideas that they need to work within. I feel like the moral, more moral side of that uh, was for the player, yes. for motivations. Like, so with those two things, you have a good basis for a communication between the DM and the players for a start on the game. Yes. And I, I look back some of the early stuff for like uh, the base set and up until uh, second edition of Dungeons and Dragons, where it was a very simplistic style of play. Uh, there wasn't really a lot of emphasis put on, you know, world building, so to speak. It was more, it was the more, it was a dungeon crawl, the more hack and slash. You may yeah. hop up into a town to buy stuff, uh, which like this now gives your player, well, I'm, you know, I'm lawful evil. I don't want to buy this thing. I want to try and steal it. You know, that, that kind of yeah. stuff. Now, this also continued into Advanced D&D, which, uh, so you have the base set. Now, Advanced D&D came out because there were so many new rules additions and things were being put out constantly yeah. that Wizards went, okay, let's, let's simplify everything down into its own, its own system. And that became Advanced D&D. Now, Advanced D&D was closer to the original rule set, a lot more slimmed down, and a lot more unforgiving. Uh, now, they kept this two-axis system, and in 1981, they released a new version of the D&D base set. This set returned to just the one, the single axis, the more simplified, you know, uh, lawful, chaotic, or neutral, whereas AD&D kept the more in-depth, uh, good, evil system as well. So was that, the, was that the red box? I believe that was the red box, yeah. The, the I, big, I saw one of those sell unopened for like a couple tens of thousands of dollars here recently. What? Yeah, there, I mean, it's... It's Good the, Lord. Back when the Spike thing is a critical role, D Dimensions 20, uh, Stranger Things, D&D &D got popular there. I mean, yeah. So. Okay. Now, uh, in 1988, again, first of all, let's look at these dates from, you know, uh, original D&D, you know, original 74, base set, 77, advanced D&D, &D, uh, 77 to 79 about, 
81, the, re- the renewed base set. 88, second edition ADN. These editions were coming out faster and faster and quicker and quicker. Uh, so, you, you know, now I think like there was like, what, a 20-year gap between, uh, uh, like between, uh, you know, it's like a 10-year gap between fourth and fifth editions. Whereas like these are down just, they, in the old days, they were like, you know, put them out, put them out, put them out, put them out. Uh, but yeah, now in the AD&D second edition, uh, 1988, they, ret- they also kept that two-axis system. Uh, but here's the interesting thing. A character's action could now affect their alignment, even causing the loss of experience if too many actions outside of your alignment were taken. This is where, you know, okay, well, your cleric is lawful good. Uh, well, I'm, I don't have enough money, but I need this item. I'm going to steal the item. Okay, cool. You are now uh, neutral good. You're not pure. Your alignment shifts, and because of how second edition, have because of how AD and D worked, they may have lost access to certain items, certain powers. You had to maintain that alignment to keep your abilities in some ways. We avoided, unfortunately, second edition or advanced Dungeons and Dragons like the plague, because what the DM we were under at the time took from second edition is that we needed to keep up with ammunition and supplies and stuff. Yeah. And nobody wanted to count arrows. Look, even to this, <laughs> even in like right now with like with fifth edition, I only I only make my players count their magical or special arrows. I always say, you know, okay, you always have arrows every time you go into a local town. Like I'm not gonna make you role play out going to buy arrows, going to buy rations, to buy the, you know, like my spellcasters. Unless it is a very specific monetary amount item needed, you have the item. Even if it's something weird like, you know, a clay, a clay ziggurat for, yeah. you know, for tongues, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, if you need a, a diamond worth a thousand gold pieces, okay, cool. We'll, we'll retcon and say that the last time you were in town, you bought this diamond. So just give me your thousand gold and you have it. Yeah. A lot simpler that way. With us, I remember our, our DM, uh, he had bought the books and stuff and we're ready. We're going to switch over to this. This is way cooler because <laughs> it has the word advanced in front. So we're advanced players. And like everybody was on board, and he had he had sold us on it, and then he's like, "All right, I'm gonna need everybody to keep up with your arrows." And at that point, the entire game died. Like, it's, nobody wanted to play. That reminds me of because I I came into like the fall, I love the Fallout games, and in Fallout Three, uh, I believe I believe it was no no there was one of the early fall game, Fallout games where your ammunition had weight. Now in Fallout Three, things like rockets and mini nukes they had weight, obviously, but I think your base ammo did not. And then in Fallout New Vegas, you had your survival mode, which your your ammo had weight. You had to drink water every so many minutes. It just and like, I remember playing it one time. I was walking through the desert and I just died. I'm like, what happened? I didn't drink water. <laughs> like, I have to. And now that when they released the Game of the Year edition for Fallout New Vegas, one of the things you instantly got was a canteen of water that every thirty <laughs> minutes, which is like every, every like one day in game, you drank water from it. So, oh, yeah. okay. So I don't just die. <laughs> I, I remember uh, one of the most fun games I've played outside of D&D was very much a survival game. And you did. You had to keep up with yep. everything. And in that kind of game, in like small increments, that's really awesome. It adds to the tension in the game. But like a long-form campaign doing that, oh. The, the game we played on Wednesday night, something that I, I know I have had former game masters who would have just, who would have berated Jeff for giving us the uh, the never-ending decanter. Oh, yeah. That, but it's so useful. Well, look, so I was terrified when he gave that to us. I was like, this. I'm nervous now. I think this may affect you know, the yeah. game poorly because, you know, 
we can just pour healing potions in this thing. We never had to buy healing potions. We can always heal. Yeah. But because of the way the action economy is stuff is set up and what it takes to heal while in combat, yep. you know, really all it does is once we're out of combat, it keeps us from having unnecessary yeah. downtime. Yes. You know, it helps move the game along. So kudos to him for that. I, I like was that. really nervous about it. Folks, in D&D, health potions are really expensive. Yeah. Like even, the, even like, yeah, you know, this one only does like 2D4 plus, okay, cool, 50 gold pieces. Yeah, you know, like the next one's like five hundred, five thousand, fifty thousand. They are really expensive, and if you're like out in a in a cave or in a dungeon somewhere, and your clerics, you, know, you don't want to have your cleric, you know, waste spell slots just to heal a little bit of damage. But at the same time, you don't want to go into the next fight, you know, kind of lacking in HP. Yeah, I love it. I'm I'm tempted to actually bring that into one of my games. But like it's it's one of those games where you have. Have to kind of trust your players, like they're just not going to have the one guy sitting there going, a hoggy the decanter of endless." You know, I hit it. Okay, it took you took two points of damage. All right, cool. I drink the decanter just over and it's, yeah. yeah. Uh, and let we we would be remiss if we didn't mention the even more important use for oh, the endless yes. decanter, <laughs> Artie's endless decanter of chocolate milk. I have made so many friends. With, yeah, with that uh, because Artie will take and I'll use uh, I'll, I'll use precipitation. Just heat the heat the cup up so you have like hot chocolate milk or hot chocolate essentially with marshmallows at hand. We just folks. need a bag of holding full of marshmallows now and we're set. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I guess Artie's alignment is like soft king or something. I think that's the, just yeah. <laughs> I see. I think that's what they need to do with the alignment chart. They just need to come up with like more updated oh, yes, names that, for the alignment. That's it, uh, folks. Listening, <laughs> if you have any ideas for the updated alignment chart for playing with advantage, please send them in to us. Oh, we God, would love yes. to have that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, and then then you have what I call the the heyday of D anD. d This is where the uh, Dungeons and Dragons as a corporation turned a corner. This was right around the time where all the Satanic Panda stuff really had fallen off. A there was a I think a new CEO had come in, and this is where you get third edition. Yeah, uh, people will often say that while third edition was okay, and later you have three point five, which is what gave the rise like Pathfinder and later Starfinder and all this other stuff. And in D and D third edition, that's also when they did away with AD and D and just had their one D and D system. Uh, third edition kept the same two axis alignment, but in 3.5, they did a supplement called Eberron, which, folks, if you've never played in the Eberron system, the Eberron supplement, it's this amazing post-apocalyptic, uh, like, magic gone wild. That's where you get the Warforged and Skyships, and it's such a cool, like, apocalyptic steampunk world. I love Eberron. Eberron was where you begin to see that deviation from a set alignment system. And I think that's why 3.5 is remembered so fondly is because it gave you that freedom to go, cool, I want to play a dark elf, but I don't want to be a bad guy playing, you know. Yeah. The I want to be Dritz Duerden. I want to be, yes, yeah. I came from a place of evil and hatred, but I become one of the best heroes that Run has ever seen. And that's where you get that chance to, uh, to show that, you know, nature, a good nature can outweigh a bad nurture. Yes, very much so. Uh, then after 3.5, um, fine, I'll admit it, 4th edition. No! That's right, folks, the dark time. Probably one is one of the most hated editions of Dungeons & Dragons. 4th edition completely redid the alignment system, reducing the number of alignments to 5. Lawful good, good, evil, 
chaotic evil, and quote-unquote unaligned. Now, I understand why they did this, because lawful good, yes, we know that is, but good. There's a lot of play around in just good or evil. That's, you know, neutral good, that's chaotic good. Yeah. That is anything that's like, you know, that's not hallelujah. Anything yeah. beside that is good. Yeah. Like, I may be a good guy, even if I'm not a great person. So all I can think of is the, the line from uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Just because you're a bad guy does not mean you are a bad guy. Yeah, probably probably my favorite point in that whole movie. Yeah. Zangief, they, they, I don't know. We want. I want a Zangief movie. I just want a movie. I would love a following Zangief. Zangief. Yeah. I'll crush man's like hero like like sparrow's eggs between thighs. Uh, but yeah, uh, fourth edition uh, kind of started de-emphasizing the alignment system, and this is how they did it, saying, "Yeah, you know, you have the things that require true, complete, utter goodness. Your clerics and at the time your paladins." You guys have lawful good. But then your average warrior, your average person, you could be either, you know, good or evil or unaligned. Yeah. Now, I think as well, 4th edition still had the same thing where there were certain things like, you know, or any sort of holy symbol or unholy symbol, you had to be either lawful good or chaotic evil, which, I mean, one of my favorite things is when, like, the uh, the player who's kind of, like, agnostic in the group Starts opening up to the concept of deities, and later becomes this, this like in, in a moment of, of in a moment of low where they need help. They do the one thing they've never done and reach out to a higher power, and the higher power answers and empowers them. It, yeah. it's, it's a it's kind of a trope in some ways, but it's it's a, it's a very cool one. Yeah, I, moment, I did that on Wednesday night in our game with yeah. Theseus. Like that's one of the he he started out with no real belief in gods, and you know and there was some stuff that happened and put him in a rough place and. He had an experience, and he explored that for a little bit and ultimately kind of got to the point to where mm, these gods are just too much trouble. <laughs> uh, I, I had, how was it? There was, I was another game, of, one of the players said it was great, where he goes, uh, gods are like, gods are like uh, weapons. They're there. I recognize they're there. I will, I will draw them when I need them. But until then, I'd just like to have them around. <laughs> uh so yeah, the because uh, in fourth edition this allowed PCs and also NPCs to have unknown or shifting motivations. That's where I look. I cannot tell you how many times I have made players go oh, because you, you this. Well, this is our friend. He he is good to us. He is this NPC we love and all this. And why is he suddenly sticking a dagger into our rogue's back? What's going on? Yeah, I. Again, the like the moving target, the situationalness of alignment is necessary, and it does create impact. And like you're saying there, that's big impact when someone that you have loved and trusted uh, happens to stab you literally in the back. I think we're gonna if if your son listens to this, we're gonna traumatize him a little bit because Hawk, Hawk, yeah, that, that that story I love listening to because I could tell you just you're even still right now you were like telling the story you were emotionally invested and. In, what was going on yeah. and the sense of betrayal and everything. Yep. Yeah. I wanted him dead so bad. <laughs> and then by the end of the adventure, because of the impact that had when, you know, he was treated not how he had acted, um, we were all just willing to go to hell to get him back. Yeah. Literally. Yeah, that the only good thing I say, the only good thing that came out of fourth edition was that it put more focus on the players' choices. It came to alignment and motivation. And I, I do like that. 
Like, that was one of the few good things that came out of that time. Uh, and then after that, we get to D&D 5th Edition, which I think probably does not care about alignments at all. In fact... Uh, is it in any of the books? Like, do they? It, is it is, a chart, or it is a chart, but it is. It even says it is used as a general role playing guide. And later on, like playable races have no specific alignment. And then I think it was with Mordenkainen's Monsters of the Multiverse, unless it is a specific thing, like you know, a, a demon lord or an arch devil. Some monsters now, most monsters have typically this alignment. Yeah. Or the alignment's not there at all. Like, I love the fact that beasts, animals, they have no alignment. I love that. Yeah. Because I mean, they're, they're neutral. They're, they're neutral. Are... They're, they're animals. I love that. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of a quick, a little quick history about how alignments and how they've progressed. And now, why are we discussing alignments? Well, we did a previous episode on character creation. And a big point of creating your character is finding out what motivates them. Yeah. What do they, like, how do they react to the world around them? How do they interact to the world around them? And a lot of that falls down to what is your character's internal alignment. Yeah, where's your baseline? Where does your character start? What is their general function as far as how they interact? Now, I am very much a big fan of when we start a new game, I tell my players, they look when they look at the, okay, well, what's my alignment? I tell them, put a question mark. Okay. Well, why? Because you don't know what your alignment is yet. Yeah, you you haven't been tested. You haven't been, <laughs> you know, given an opportunity to explore that. You're a level one character. You're a level one exactly. Like, let's look at this at a real world point of view. Uh, we'll we'll say from birth to five years of age. Did you have any concept of the kind of person you would become? No, no. I, I just th- I just I just wanted candy. I just and wanted cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's selfish in alignment. I feel like that's that, where that, I would that's, have that's, been. I think. Ch- just childhood is that is an alignment okay. at that yeah, point. That's fine. Uh, your your entire as what was the uh, Jerry Seinfeld's whole thing was as a kid. Your entire motivation was getting candy. That was it. How do I get candy? I want candy. Where is candy? There is candy. How do I get that candy? <laughs> what must I do for this candy? <laughs> uh, and then like from you know around six years old to twelve years old, that's you kind of figuring out you know, hey, I'm not a kid anymore. My actions have have consequence. That's when children start going into school and you yeah. meet your peers. You, That's you, the point. You have to start understanding delayed gratification. Yes. You have to start understanding responsibilities. Up until this point, I've only ever, ever lived with mother and father, and they let me mm-hmm. get away with certain things. Yeah. But I can't do those things now in society, and these these people my own age, I have to learn to kind of interact and work with them. Yeah, my boss, my boss would always get super upset when I would request nap time because my tummy hurt. <laughs> um, they did not like that. Uh, you don't. You don't ask, James. You take a nap. And Just take a nap. Yes. What happens? You. Oh, I'm narcoleptic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, you go from like 13 to 18. That is where you start to start to understand your morals, your ethics, because that's when you're like, okay, I've got interacting in society kind of understood now. Now I need to know why do I act this? Way? Yeah. Like why? Okay. Uh, well, you you say that you believe this. Do I believe that? And that doesn't make sense to me. So I'm going to go this way. This feels more now. Here's the thing. To this very day, my own ideas and sometimes my morals have shifted. Yeah, same. The the me that I was five years ago, I'm 33 years old. The me when I was 28. Wow, I did that math really quick. The me when I was 28. Good job. Gold star. <laughs> Yay. The me that I, when I was when I was 28 is completely different than the person I am now. I'm 100% a different person now almost than I was four years ago. 
three years ago. Like I've, I've had a lot of big shifts, you know, and that for that to happen, I'm 45 now for that to happen at that point in life, you know, for most of my life, I functioned one very specific way. Yeah. And then a few years ago, a lot of things changed for me, you know, and I, I don't feel like necessarily my alignment has shifted, but I do approach things a little bit differently. Yeah. And, and now let's look at that in the let's let's take all that a, a lifetime of experience and put that down into about we'll be generous three hours of character development. Cool, <laughs> awesome. I can That's, do that. <laughs> there there is no way. Uh, I don't I don't care if you have written your thirty page backstory. Yeah, Mister uh, Bardwell. There is no way. <laughs> Just at me next time. God. <laughs> there, there is no way that when you sit down at the table for character creation that you have a full, infinite grasp on oh, that absolutely. character. And honestly, I don't think you should. Exactly. I think you, you need not. to leave yeah. room for your character to develop in the game. Much like in life, yes. leave, leave some room to develop your character. Came full circle on that. <laughs> now, well, people are like, well, you're, you're, because again, we'll take, we'll take the, the penultimate examples. We'll take critical role. Well, those guys sit down with, with full grasp on their characters and, and they know what they're doing. Well, let's let's look, actually. If you look across, like, we'll take Campaign 1, Vox Machina. They were playing for a long time before we saw them step onto the screen. Yeah. And even then, still, like, there was the thing where uh, where uh, Liam O'Brien's character, Vax, like, he slapped the kid upside the head, said, you don't need to be an adventurer, go away. And then later, the kid came back with one of Percy's big bad guys, and Vax had to understand that, oh, God, I caused this because I didn't have, and he kind of this whole big, he, there was still growth there. Uh, the Mighty Nine, a lot of character development. But here's the thing. Even if they make it look easy or if it's not apparent, those are trained actors. Oh, yeah. They, they understand what motivations are. They understand mm-hmm. how to pull in motivations. Your average Joe that sits down at a D&D campaign may not be an actor with years of experience. Yeah. Now they do have years of experience they can call on. Yeah, which that's a whole big thing. Weave about, a little bit of their life into yeah. their character. Yeah, which we'd always discuss about trying to find that that point in creation where you and that character kind of quote unquote vibe together. Yeah, but you don't have to sit. Down. I mean, I have had games where over a course of nine or ten sessions, a player's voice changed. Yeah, they would start the game just talking normally, and somebody else would do a voice. Like, well, I want to do a voice, but don't force it. Just kind of you know, yeah, work with it. Like ah. Uh, and in uh, the game I play with Brody right now on Friday night, the uh, it took you know it took me some time, but I finally have, I finally have this voice for Bragi, this kind of almost Mediterranean with a bit of a bit of an Irish accent voice into it. This is Bragi's voice. He, yeah. he that's that's it. it. That took a while. I sat down. I went through like three different accents trying to get Bragi figured out. Yeah. And the thing is, it's okay. Like the, the <laughs> we're we're going off in a rabbit hole on this one, but that's okay with character creation. It's okay if you don't have everything figured out. If you don't have your character's full motivation. Now, 5th edition helps with that because you have your your background. Uh Pathfinder gets really deep into that. I have one of their books called Ultimate Character Cre- like Ultimate Character Creation. Yeah. Like you get stuff into who were your parents, were you orphaned? Uh did you have uh did you have a benefactor? Did you have this powerful ally? Verbs, you have this you have advantages and disadvantages like uh, were you wealthy? Were you poor? Uh, did you, you know, this whole big thing? Where in GURBS, if you are male or female, that actually can affect the various abilities you have. And I like when the game provides those options for 
player because they may not think about that. Yeah. You may be the person which is, then this is totally fine. You may turn in the one page backstory saying I was born to a middle-class family of this city. Uh, when I was a young child, there was an accident to where my father died. It, we were okay. Uh, when I became an adult, I wanted to go out and see the world. That's a great backstory. Yeah, that's perfectly fun. There, there's a lot of room there. You have some motivations already, and you can build on that. But when the when the systems go, okay, that's cool. That's your base. Now let's add some flavor into it. Uh, did you have any siblings? Uh, where did you live? Was it up north? Was it southern? And that builds and builds and builds. And much like as a real-life human, from your, your origins, from your backstory, that's where your motivation come from. The uh, I, I'm I'm actually playing my first play by post. Our friend Nicole yeah. is running one, and uh, I'm involved in that. And shout it, out to Night Rain, hey hey, absolutely. Um, in the backstory which I wrote her, or as I like to call it, my my short novel, <laughs> uh, my character's alignment shifts during the backstory. Okay. Um, and it, it's it's very interesting to me because his nature is still the same. He has the nature he had the whole time. But because of the, the things that happened to him in his backstory, um, very much his journey from good towards not good yeah. um, happens during that backstory. And I wanted to keep going, to keep writing, to like really flesh that out. But I feel like it's very important to have your alignment settle in-game. Like Get that starting point, yeah. but see what happens in the game before you settle that. It is, like I said, and it's okay if alignments change. That's fine. Absolutely. But there should be a reason for that. Yeah. Like, if, if you want to start as the, uh, the you know, the, the clean-cut, square-jawed paladin that, you know, you know uh, stop in the name of the law, that kind of thing, that's great. Yeah. But don't, like, four or five sessions into the game suddenly go, wait, you're not doing what I told you to? I kill him. Yeah. That's that's not lawful good anymore. That's no, it's that's not. An entire one of the one of the things I've noticed in a lot of games that often at some point um, somebody gets tortured. Yeah, right. That's, that that yeah, that, that happens. happens fairly regularly. Um, just because it's a really easy answer to a really hard question a lot of the times. Uh, if you're playing the good character, you're not going to stand for that. You're not going to let somebody be tortured. So I I think that's one of those points. Unless there is some serious motivation, you should kind of stick to your alignment. I'm reminded in the uh, the Gamers Darkness Rising movie where they were trying to get information from like the, the the cultist members, but they had an NPC paladin who was there, uh, and they're like, you know, this this is three point five. The paladin's alignment will not let you, and they're like, I think I see a bad guy over there, evil afoot. Yes, yeah, evil afoot. I must be gone, and he walks away. God, that movie is so good. Like but, I, for what the budget was for that, those guys are just fantastic. Oh God, guys, if you have never seen, I highly recommend you go online and you watch the Gamers Darkness Rising. Yes, it, it is one of my favorite. It actually deals with with alignment because uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but at the very end, uh, like they when they because obviously it's a D and D campaign. They say yeah. they save the day. But the very end there, there is a character who is playing a, a he, he is playing a female PC, which is fine. I have no issue with that. Oh, I've yeah. seen it done perfectly. But he is leaning into the trope of, you know, womanly wiles and seduction yeah. kind of thing. To where, because he's playing chaotic neutral. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, that whole thing was basically he was saying, I'm doing chaotic neutral so he can do whatever he, he thought whatever he, that he, means he can to. do whatever he wants. Yeah. But it's so funny because, uh, one of them goes, well, you are no longer evil. I'm not evil. I'm chaotic neutral. I just, 
in the background, you just hear with the guy go, you are evil and a whore. And it's just the <laughs> funny, because I'm, because I'm, it's one of those, what? Yeah. Uh, but that's also the thing. Don't you kind of a weird segment, but don't use your alignment as an excuse to get away with it. No. We, we mentioned the, it's what my character would do aspect. Yeah. Well, I'm lawful evil. It's what I have to do. Uh, your alignment should never, what's the best way? Your alignment should never dictate your actions. No. I think that's the best way I want to try to say that. It's okay for you to go, okay, well, up until this point, I've been a good person. Uh, perfect example. You mentioned torture. Uh, there was that one Wednesday night where I was still kind of trying to feel out Artie, my character Artie, trying to get yeah. him what he would do, how to react to that kind of yeah. stuff. Well, we were at the, uh, the manor where Holt's father was. Yeah. And, you know, like everybody's getting like, you know, like getting tough and mean. I'm sitting there like playing this little, little good little cleric. I'm like, myself, well, maybe I should try to get into this. And so I did the thing where I was waiting for some way to bring in, and Jeff mentioned the, a line where Holt basically spit on family. Well, Artie, he's an orphan, so family's big to him. At that point, that's where Artie, like, you know, like full emo, black eyes, grabbed his throat, inflicted wounds, and this, that, and the other. But as I'm sitting there doing that, I went, wait a second. This does not feel right. This does not feel correct to the motivations I have for this character. This is not the direction I want to take him. And Artie, st- I, uh, my next action, I stopped. Uh, I, I left. And there was this whole big discussion about how, you know, that was not the person I wanted to be. And it's for a great role play. It, moment. it was an excellent place where we got to see that nature in this instance definitely pushed past nurture. Yes. Because he was in a situation where nurture said, you know, this guy's an asshole. We're going to deal with him as such. And, you know, he leaned into that. And there was a part of his nature is like, no, this is not, not appropriate. This is not me. I'm not willing to forego who I am for this. I, that was a very real life moment yeah. because I, I, I have been in situations in my actual life where, you know, nurture pointed me a direction and I took a step and was just like, no, this is, this is not me, you know? So it felt very genuine. Yeah. And now I love the fact that Artie is basically trying to be the, this compass of good in, in this group where, and, and right now, especially in the world, good's kind of losing. A lot of things are happening oh, yeah. where we're good. Good's getting its ass kicked. Good's getting its ass. So yeah, you have this one, this one ray of hope that he's trying just to be the good person. Yeah. Uh, also, there was you know, I I think because it was that, and then like the session before that was where I essentially sent the guy through purgatory. It was like this whole uh, oh yeah event horizon thing, Ooh. which I was not expecting that, and I I acted as Artie would with like. Up. Um, I well, if I, if I remember right, our information, like, we knew that there was something, something up, yeah. but we didn't know what. Yeah. And then you sent this guy to another dimension, and he came back and was like, oh, that's what's up. Yeah. That was really where Artie, and then the whole thing with the, with Holt, I'm like, nope, this is not Artie. This, I, this, and, and I backed away from that. And there's still that, like, I still call it, like, the aspect where uh, the one time we were, you know, again, torturing the information. Artie did step up, but I didn't hurt. Like I didn't act. I just like you know sat my mace heavily on his on his leg, kind of stuff. Yeah. And even still, like that, like I could even I'm like this still even going this far, not actually like killing the guy. But Art, this is not Artie. Artie is not the guy that's gonna. So, so now I have I know what Artie's motivations are. I I know where he draws the lines of that kind of thing. Uh, although if if anything happens to certain members of the party, thesis included. 
Artie Ar- Ar- may snap. Uh, yeah. just gonna, I'm just going to say that. Artie may snap. Uh-huh. I, I, I definitely enjoy the, the unique relationship that Artie and Theseus have. Theseus is probably the most accurately neutral character I have played. Yes, I can I can definitely say that. I, just on as an outside perspective, I sit there going, okay, well, the last time James – now I'm just like, whatever, it's James. It's, to- it's very situational with him. Yeah. It, honestly, it depends on the pieces involved. If you're touching that group – that core yep. that he is considered family, um, it, you're you're not going to get good Theseus, you no. know. I mean, you know, but if if it's something that's not of weight to that specific event, it doesn't matter to me. I'll support the party whichever way they go. You know how they want to handle it. Um, that's why I was so critical of uh, Iris Nicole's character. Yeah, that's, father. that was one thing. Like uh, th- th- most of the group was kind of like, you know, we don't like the guy, but this is for Iris. We're going to not be, you know. Rude to him. Artie, Artie kind of, Artie was right there with Theseus in a way. Like I, the whole, because that, I don't know the, the, the offhanded thing about, uh, I don't know how to do many things right. You left your family pretty good. We raked him over the coals real hard for several sessions. Yeah. And, and then, then felt bad. Then felt bad. Yeah. There was, uh, now we, I think that's actually kind of interesting. We're discussing like our personal cares, that kind of stuff. Now, what are some? I say, as you know, kind of like drawing in past the halfway point of the episode. What are some uh, examples of the various alignments that you, that your, our listeners would know? Because we've discussed, like you know, what what is be lawful evil, you know, chaotic good, that kind of stuff. What are some examples? And we'll start with the uh, if you look at what we call the it's the tic tac toe grid uh, of <laughs> of of the alignment chart. Uh, we'll start with lawful good. So lawful good, lawful good. Um, I'm cheating here a little bit. I got. I love. I love the different tic tac toe charts that go through and give you uh, media examples of the characters. Um, lawful good, probably the one that's most used there is Superman. Yes, he is lawful good. Uh, and that's the interesting thing because even I, I am a massive Superman. Oh yeah. And growing up, yes, like you, he is very much the the lawful good character, but he also occasionally has a few tendencies that kind of push him a little bit past. I'm not sure which animated it, it was in, but there was one um, where he just completely dismantled in very scary fashion this group of uh, evil that characters. That would be Superman versus the Elites. I, ha- I have yes. that comic book. I love watching the uh, love watching the animated movie because, no, that's, that is what that is. Because that's the thing. You don't... You don't Alignment should be an ever-moving spectrum. It it doesn't yeah. have specific point. You there should be a slide graph. Yeah, and it is okay to push outside of your your alignment as Artie did. Yeah, and it makes so there is that moment where uh, now at, at the very end I'm going to spoil it because it's been out for years now. At the very end, you realize he did in fact not yeah kill yeah. these people. But watching but it, but watching it, I'm like, like did, did Superman just Superman murk just killed that guy? Oh god! Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I will say that if you want to watch a really good example of nature versus nurture that starts with Superman and like ends with something like evil, uh, Brightburn. Oh god, god, that movie's so good. Also, what was the other one that came out? Um, uh, was about the three kids that find the meteor. Yeah, I cannot like, remember the name of that. Was like also a very good. One. Yeah, uh, a, a one that I have when I think of lawful good is uh, Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, Commissioner Gordon very much is lawful because if you ever watch the uh, the there was the animated episode where it looked like Barbara Gordon had died. Yes, 
and uh, uh, and then Commissioner Gordon just, but yeah, especially specifically the list they have is is Commissioner Gordon from the from the like the Christian Bell Batman movie, mm-hmm. where yes, he knows what Batman is doing, but uh, it was the the it's the scene where Batman, it's where Christian Bell's Batman goes and locks the invest the uh, the interrogation room, Joker. Yeah. You saw how fast Gordon tried to get to the door because yeah. all in all, he knows, yes, this is okay. He's a citizen making citizens arrest. These are actually bad people. We're fine. We can make this work. Oh God, no, get to the, he's going to kill him. Get to the, we yeah. can. Yeah. I will say that a good example of being pushed outside of your alignment in a very rational way is commissioner Gordon, because he is that lawful good character. Yes. But at the same time, he does work with a vigilante. Yep. And the thing that does that for him is he cares about the people in his city and their safety, right? So that's enough for him to allow that little infringement. Have you ever seen Gotham? Oh, yeah. I loved Gotham. Watched At the whole every series. turn, Gordon had the opportunity to make deals with bad people uh-huh. to better his city. Yep. And I, I, can't, I, mean, I think maybe once or twice, but usually nine times out of ten, unless it was some massive, like, in-the-city type scenario, he went, no. No. I have my morals. I have my values. This is what's going to get me through. I'm not for sale. So, Commissioner Gordon, Superman, you know, lawful good. The next one I have on my list is for neutral good. And to me, I love the fact it's this guy, Luke Skywalker. Okay. Luke Skywalker is neutral good. Huh. Break that down for me. Okay. So, uh, he, I mean, he is good in the sense of, more than just the sense of like, you know, light side versus dark side. Yeah. Uh, his motivations, you know, the the place he comes from, he lost his family, and he lost his family, family he knew again. That could break somebody. That could push yeah, them into yeah. it. But in, but in the end, he wants to overcome this, this little aspect, wants to make a, 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 a galaxy that is free and just and good, and then even wants to recreate an order that is meant to protect and preserve peace. Yeah. Now, he is neutral in the fact that the laws don't govern how govern how he accomplishes that. Exactly. Okay. Because uh, let's look at let's look at um at his fight with Vader. Okay. Uh, there's there's a few times where uh there there's a few times where because Vader obviously the personification of evil. If he was true good, he would want to overcome and destroy evil. Yeah. But instead, the whole big scene of I I know I can feel the conflict within you, Father. Let go of your hate. Uh, also, if you're reading the books, there's a few books where Luke didn't do some exactly nice things. I haven't read the book. Well, uh, I've read a couple of Star Wars novels. Like there, there was one novel where he literally used the Force to rip off a guy's arm. Uh, oh, jeez. He's neutral good in the aspect of that if you are standing against him violently, he will answer you with violence. He responds in kind. Yeah. And So what, what do you have for as an example? So the neutral good example I have is literally uh, probably my favorite character. Um, it is Malcolm Reynolds from Firefly. Yes. Uh, and I think he is a fantastic neutral good. Again, that, that concept of, in the end, he is, he is a good person, and he has his own values, his own morals. He may step outside occasionally to get good done, Yeah, but in the end, he comes back. It's like the whole thing with, uh, with Jane. The whole thing, uh, why, did, why didn't you uh, turn on us? Money wasn't good, Captain. What happens when the money is good? Well, that's going to be an interesting day. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then later on, you find he does, in fact, and Mal just waylays, and there is no questioning. There is yeah. no, hey, this guy's on my crew. 
knocks him out, puts him in the airlock, and you know, goes, yeah. are you going to do it again? Are you going to do it? That whole thing. Yeah, uh, and just the richness in that character, and the fact that he wants good so bad, but understands so well that it it does not come because easy or cheap. He he saw he saw the war. He was there at yeah. the Serenity Valley. He saw the brown, all that stuff. And yeah, that it's that moment uh, where in a lot of true, a lot of your neutral good guys are the ones where bad has happened to them in their past. They recognize it. They'll sometimes call upon it, but in the end, they still want themselves and the world around them to. I feel like the key to transitioning a character from lawful good to a neutral good is that incident that removes the naivete. Yes, um, that helps them see. Good don't come cheap. Yes. It's got a, it's got a pretty big a price. price tag. Uh, so up next we have Chaotic Good. I love the one on here because this fit. Uh, my example of Chaotic Good is Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah okay. He, he works outside. The laws mean nothing to him, but his ultimate motivation and the ultimate goal is good. Rob from the rich to give to the poor. Yeah. Break the laws of society to better society. The example I have of... Uh, Probably again, top three characters that are fictional. Uh, v for Vendetta. Oh God, yes. Uh, v, it for him the chaos was the point. Yeah. Of his good, it, it it was him saying this law structure that we have is impeding an evil. Now, when we say chaos, we don't mean the player that randomly does things. No. Again, folks, think of lawful and chaotic in the sense of. How do they work within society and its laws, within the societal construct? You could almost is. replace the word chaos with rebellious in yes. this, in this instance. Yeah. And like, you know, again, Robin Hood and V Vendetta, they looked at the laws of society and went, these are hurting more than they're helping, and we're going to choose to ignore them. Yeah. That's a perfect example of that. Now, uh, lawful neutral, this is one I had not thought about. Lawful neutral, the predator. Oh, yeah. That's a he, good lawful neutral. He, do, he, he has the, the motivations of his clan. He does not see good or evil, so to speak. No. Uh, he is there to hunt. Yeah. Lawful neutral. There are rules to how we hunt, and what we're hunting is just the hunted. Like the, 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 the I, know, I know Brody hates it. I'm going to wreck, I'm going to, and I'm going to mention it, the AVP movie, where he <laughs> walks up to the, to the older gentleman who is like his heart's failing, that kind of stuff. And the predator looks at him and basically says that you're not worth the hunt, turns around and walks away. Uh, yeah. And then the old guy shoots him. And the predator turns back. There's a moment of, really? you, Okay, I understand. Sure, you're a threat. And he hunts him. He takes him. Yeah. Uh, and I love that they, they, they have, that is, I never thought about that. Yeah, the predator is lawful neutral. Uh, the lawful neutral I have is Picard, Star Trek. Yes. God, God yes. Jean-Luc Picard of Star Trek. There is... He he want he works within the boundaries of the the prime directive of the laws of Starfleet, and in the end he wants just balance. That that is the the perfect yeah because I and the thing is everything he he is very much the I I will not go outside you know I draw the line here this far no further he does yeah. not go outside the laws of society he finds a way to accomplish his goal and he really. He finds that balance. There are some times he'll side with the Federation. Yeah. There are some times the Federation's doing bad. He'll side with the Romulan. There, he he finds he wants pure neutrality. He wants that yeah. to find. Uh, he wants to work 
the neutrality within the bounds of the law. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Captain card. Yeah. Uh, I have, this one is kind of, it's kind of, I had to realize who this was for true neutral. Lieutenant Aldo Rain from Inglorious Bastards. Actually haven't seen it. Uh, he is, oh, first of all, Brad Pitt plays an amazing character. But he is true neutral in the fact that he doesn't care. If you're good, if you're evil, if you're doing good or bad, he has his agenda and that's it. Okay. And uh, the the greatest part of this is where is his whole thing is, uh, you know, he, he's, been, he's been hunting, you know, German socialists or Nazis as he calls them. Yeah. Uh, and then Christoph Waltz's character at the very end turns against the party and, you know, is going to basically, uh, they've given him immunity and this kind of stuff. He's going to help the allies fight war, fight the, the, uh, the axis of evil, overcome them. That does not matter to Lieutenant Aldo Rain because his whole thing is he, he doesn't want to walk around society with these people who are now pretending to be good people. And so he marks them with his butcher with a knife. He cuts a swastika in their forehead. Yeah. And it's a great scene because, uh, you know, uh, Christoph Waltz's character has just surrendered. He, he has surrendered. He, uh, Aldo Rain has orders to bring him to this place. Does not matter. He, he carves his head. Just so everybody can know that he, he was a bad guy. Uh, I don't, I'm actually not sure. What is that? So what character? Uh, true... Or neutral, I believe. Like something elemental. I think that's Treebeard. Okay, that is Treebeard. Okay, so like just a a, a force of nature, which I mean that yeah. that makes a lot of sense because like nature doesn't care one way or the other. Well, look, let's look at the example from Lord of the Rings at the time. Uh, the the ends boot the ends meet, and they said, you know, this is a war for for men and other creatures, and ends are long lived, and it does not bother us. But then when he walked out of the forest and saw what Treebeard had done, like, no, there must be repercussions. It's that sense where he does not go out of his way to instill a, a sense of morals or duty on anybody else, but he is not afraid to bring consequence. Okay. That's yeah. essentially the same thing for Alderanus. He didn't care what your morals or your duties were. He had his, and if you enter, if you met that moment, if you met that mark, he then enacted a consequence. I love how you put it. It's a force of nature, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Uh, up next is Chaotic Neutral, and the one they have here is Han Solo. The, the sense of he does whatever he wants to, but he keeps his own code, and that can be good or bad. Uh, the one I have is probably, and I'm, I will probably catch smoke for this, uh, one of my least favorite characters ever. People don't hate me. It's Jack Sparrow. That's fair. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm, with, I'm here going Han Solo. Eh, okay, but that, that you get a sense that unfortunately it happens. Most of your your chaotic neutral people they they fit. It's because look, one of those is a captain who is uh, who is very much uh, very broguish, does whatever he wants to, does not care about what the laws and society says. He just wants to make money. I'll let you guess which one that is. Feel like I could just throw a dart and wherever exactly. it, landed, it would be they, fine. It's the exact. <laughs> it's the same character. One, yeah. one takes place in outer space. One takes place in the Caribbean. And I, I think that like, you know, we, I think we previously talked about the uh, chaotic characters in game and how that can be a problem if it's not played right. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of the people who 
kind of accidentally wind up in that category are trying to play this. Yes. They're trying to play the Jack Sparrow uh, tie, yeah. the chaotic neutral. Uh, my one for lawful evil is interesting, and I, I agree with this one, and that is Darth Vader. I also have Darth Vader. I think he is the consummate is lawful evil. evil. Yes, uh, because, again, he is evil because of the dark side. Like, he, he is evil because the law says he is evil. Yeah. Uh, he, like, he breaks, you know, uh, within the laws of society. He works within the laws of society, but he does evil within those laws. Yeah, he works within the laws of the evil society, society. he is a part yeah. of. But like they they follow the rules like one one master one, yes you know cool thing is though uh, if the law ever changes there this whole big thing like if you if you change the uh, the, the I mean, phrase I'm sorry there's this whole big thing of where the law stays the same and you can move from good to evil and slide it but yeah Darth Vader lawful good the neutral evil I love this one I've never thought about him and that is Agent Smith Mr. Anderson ooh. Agent Smith from the Matrix. I'd never thought about that. He was one. a really good character too, because and neutral evil. You got to see like his individuality, because I believe the rest of those agents were just neutral. Yeah, but he was neutral evil. There was a little something extra there, and it, like Hugo Weaving really pulled that oh, out God, of that I love, character. Love, love. One of my favorite actors is Hugo. I was yeah. so happy when they brought him back for Red Skull in uh, in Endgame. It was so great. But no, that yeah. Uh, so he is neutral in the fact. That his his job is to maintain a balance. Yeah, but it's that evil in the fact that he is working against something. Where where all the other agents are simply maintaining a balance. He has a motivation for yes. doing so. He hates their smell. Their just everything about them. You know, he hates that world. I hate that individuality you have. Yeah. I, yes. That's it. Like, and that that is the defining factor that makes him evil and not neutral. Yes. Because he has motivation. Uh, who do you have for neutral evil? I have xenomorphs. That's fair. I, I yeah they they are they are a beast in the fact that they're more animalistic. That's where the neutral comes. That's in. the neutral comes in. But their motivation is that to basically wipe out all life. They are they were made as a weapon. Yeah. They are an antagonistic force. Yeah. A a true like most of your animals fall within true neutral. You leave them alone. Leave you alone. Not so much with xenomorphs. I really wish Brody was here for this one. Yeah, I uh, wish he was too. He that would be a great addition. He, but, would, he would probably we'd have to extend the episode. Oh yeah, but the fact that the xenomorphs they actively search out life and destroy it. Yeah, there's motivation. There, there. is motivation there. And They're not just doing it to eat. To eat exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh I'm going to bet we have the exact same last one. Probably so. I'm, and, I'm wondering if we even have the same picture. The same probably. Well, here, okay. I'm going to catch flack for this one. Okay. Uh, my last one is the Joker. Same. Absolutely same. I disagree that the Joker is chaotic. He he will he appears chaotic evil. Mm -hmm. Now, it's like you said earlier, because we, we discussed this, and the Joker yeah, was the yeah. one. It's how it's who portrays him and mm -hmm. how he's written in the comics. Yeah. However, I have read a, I've read a ton of Batman comics, and you discover that the Joker does... Chaotic evil is you do anything you want, when you want. It's random. It makes no sense. Yeah. The Joker is too methodical for that. Go back and play like the Arkham games. There yeah. is a reason for everything he's doing to Batman. Uh, to me, true chaotic evil would be like uh, Zaz. He is, a, uh, he is a serial killer that just kills to kill. He'll walk past somebody. Go, I want to kill them. That's it. Yeah. Uh, that is true chaotic evil. There's no rhyme or reason to it. He just does it. 
Yeah. Now, I, I, I think that's a good example. Now, the chaotic example here evil. of Heath Ledger's chaotic evil, again, I'm still, because his whole point is he wants to show that, like you said, one bad day will make anybody turn. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's, I think that's whole thing. And yeah, you know, the, there is still a method. I think when I think chaotic, I don't just think rebellious. Yeah. I think I want to do it because I want to do it. I, I do yeah. think that, that there's a very good argument that you have there that his methodical nature um, and the fact that he plans things out so well, like he functions for the most part within a structure. Yes. It's just for people who aren't in the mental state he's in, it's really hard to see what that structure is. So that does come across yes. really chaotic, but I get what you're saying yes. completely. If you want a true, to me, if you want to see true chaotic evil, I think an example of that, aside from like Zaz, the, but a more yeah. kind of like, because Zaz is kind of a niche character. Yeah. Uh, let's look to, God, I just had him in, he was in one. Um, well, this is still like, it's, it's that character where they, Phoenix from Demolition Man. There is chaotic evil. Yeah. That's, Wesley Snipes' character. That nails it. That's really good. That is chaotic evil because it made no sense to do the stuff he was doing, even to himself. No, no. And doesn't he even, during the dialogue with him and yeah. Stallone, he's like, you know, I'm just, this is how I'm shaking things up. Yeah. He And he'll, like, at one point he's working with a the guy, then he turns and shoots the guy and just back and forth. To me, that is chaotic evil. Yeah. Where even your agency is given over to chaos. Yeah. And that's why it's so hard to play chaotic evil properly in a role-playing game. Yeah. Uh, I think that, like, if you were going to play a chaotic evil character, there'd have to be tons of communication with your game master. Yes. Like, tons of it. Or yes. you're just going to wreck everything. The only time I've ever seen it played properly was where it was one player, they kept a lot of the stuff to themselves, but it was very small things. Like, kill something. But it was still then, like, they would send messages to the, the DM, like, hey, I'm doing this. I'm do- there was still open communication between the yeah. two of them because you cannot just wreck a world. Nope, got to be communication yes. between the person running the world and what you're doing. I, I believe I believe we've fully, you know, to, to quote, we've shaken things up enough. Uh, <laughs> we I, I know a few people out there are going to highly disagree with my my reason. That's fine. That's a cool thing. Much like the alignment, it's whatever you want it to be. It's whatever you view it as. Yeah. You should alignment should be not what moves your character. It should be what your character is based their motivations. How on. you start. How you start. That's the best way it's to put it. It's your baseline. It is your baseline. Uh, it is where you start. It, it, is, it is how you grow from it. Uh, and so, yeah, I, and we, I, this was, I love the alignment system because I love not using it. <laughs> I love when that person who's so full into their alignment, they're like, don't worry about it. Do whatever you want. Because that's, that's life. Uh, good and evil in real, in real world terms is such a gray scale. There's a lot of different shades there. Morality. Morality is such is such a gray scale. What may be what may look what may be good for one person may be evil, and the rationalizations are both there. Yeah, and it's at that moment you have to take a step back and go, okay, well, what is good and evil? What are absolutes and that kind of stuff? Because only the Sith deal in absolutes. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you, folks, for joining us today for this episode on the alignment scale. A little bit of a history where it came from. Uh, some conversations, how we've applied it, and then of just a few off-the-wall examples. Uh, and if if you guys have your own uh, opinions on the, some of these that we said, uh, like I have my email, uh, southerngm at gmail.com, or I also have the old one of Southern D&D. Either one of those is still open. Send us your thoughts and comments. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, we are working on another D&D horror story. Yeah. 
episode. So again, like send those to me, uh, either the Southern GM at gmail.com or Southern D at gmail.com. And we you know we'll, we'll tell your stories. I love the horror stories that were sitting last time. We've got some great ones coming up. George, if you're listening, send us some good ones, please. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we'll wrap it up there. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to us, uh, playing with advantage, rate us, like us five stars us. Uh, we're going to try to start putting these out on YouTube as well, just to kind of help another, another platform. Like, subscribe, hit the notification when you see that. But for Playing With Advantage, I am Kenneth Moffat, a.k.a. the Southern GM. I'm James from The Hive. And I like to think that right now we know this just in a good, chaotic, a chaotic good space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we're... Oh, thank you. As our audio orc informed us, this upcoming February 5th, Stagande Scars of Midgard returns. Woo-hoo! The the live role the live uh, actual play for fifth edition uh, piloted by our own Brody Elder Fenris. I I'm have to go back and rewatch the entirety sorry because I've forgotten certain things. Uh, we get to see the great Doctor Orvini again too. Aren't you so excited, James? I'm very excited. I cannot <laughs> wait. It's been yes, too long. Uh, February fifth, Stagande Scars of Midgard goes live once more. I'm very excited for that. So again, thank you all for listening to us. Uh, wherever you see us on your social media platforms. Like, comment, subscribe to us. We can't do this without you guys. I'm just going to end this by saying, uh, be good to each other because we only get one shot. Later, folks. Later.